0: once again into the soccer og hey that's me max Bredos. this is episode 48 as always a reminder to please rate review download share tell a friend leave a note and help expand this podcast which came into existence in 2021 we had so many great guests we'll continue to do that here in 2022 we'll make you think we'll make you laugh we'll make you cry and we'll do so much more. And there are big plans here as we expand, new visual components all coming your way, more trips out there covering the U.S. men's national team and many other things. A reminder to check out the Soccer OG YouTube program under my name, Max Bretos. We will be talking about the Ricardo Pepe move to Augsburg, which is also the topic In stoppage time, a historic weekend for the business of Major League Soccer. Is it headed in the right direction? Is this the sign that this league is ready to hit that next echelon? We'll give you some information and some very interesting tidbits about how the American influence is getting into the bloodstream in Europe in more ways than one. I am thrilled to also mention, coming up, in the business end, I'll be joined by, he's knighted, sir ian dark Ian, the voice of espn who america's fallen in love with he's also huge talent over in the united kingdom we'll have a chit chat about the premier league it was a big weekend there and certainly we'll talk about the holiday seasons we'll have a little world cup talk as well and i'll get his thoughts about working in the united states and what his favorite things are about being in the u.s as a soccer commentator we are ready to go big show coming your way let's roll Okay, let's get going. Happy New Year everyone. Hope you had a nice safe one. Uh, I was uh, had a little party over at the neighbor's house and um, I was really struggling I was really struggling to stay past midnight and like 9 30, 10. I was tired and I was like, maybe should we just watch this I'm in California? this east coast feed and pretend it's midnight when it's really nine and we got is that cheating i stayed up i i think this is the last year i'll stay up till midnight unless there's a specific party i'm going to which seems very remote that it might happen on new year's just because i you know I'll, I'll, listen i'll get my party on it just doesn't have to necessarily be on new year's i'm terrified to go out on that day as you all should be we went to our neighbors, which was four blocks away. We got in the car and I saw a policeman there. I'm like, these, these guys, you're not gonna win tonight. So I hope everyone was safe. Uh, and thanks to all the, the the local authorities out there on these holidays doing uh that job for us to keep us all safe too. A lot of people asked me if I had any New Year's resolutions. And let me tell you something where I stand on this. New Year's resolutions are for the same people that will go out on Valentine's Day and pay three times as much as you would pay for a dinner if you went a day later. People are telling you what to do on these certain dates. It doesn't mean you have to do it. You can have a resolution any day of the year. You can go right from December 31st to January 1st and go, oh, same person. Just because that calendar ticks over doesn't mean I'm going to do anything systematically different in my life. Same thing with, I tell my wife, I go, I'm not going out on Valentine's Day see this is what this podcast has become it's me complaining about valentine's day you've probably heard it a couple times already i, go, I don't want to go out in the crowds i don't want to be overcharged i'll take you out tomorrow it'll be more romantic she always says "Out, yeah, okay that's nice and then when it comes around she's like everyone's going out on valentine's day And i go i know i wish everyone a happy new year 2021 was a very special year for me uh, obviously being able to work with lafc and they made me whole in a dream job, w- doing jobs for MLS as well. Uh calling fights, MMA fights for combate global, being able to uh call Libertadores in Sudamericana, thanks to DS Media, uh Pablo Urquiza, who gave me that gig. I get to call it those games during the week, they're fantastic. I gotta travel to Miami for them, so it's it's a bit it's a bit difficult, but I, I love calling games. And then Gala games got me into the gaming space at the end of the year and Sirius XM FC getting to do some shows there as well. So, you know, I, did, I wasn't working a lot in 2020, so all this coming back was fantastic. And I want to say, if they're listening, I appreciate being able to work and I look forward to a huge 2022. This is going to be wonderful. And more than anything, thanks to everyone who's tuned in for the Soccer OG podcast and the Soccer OG on YouTube, Max Bretos. Check it out, I have a video. About Ricardo Pepe and his move, as well as Daryl DK. and we're going to talk a little bit about that here in Stoppage Time as well, because it really was a weekend unlike any other. Uh, big money spending. We always talk about MLS players and how they're always uh, undervalued, and the transfer fees are well below what you would expect. Not anymore. Not anymore. We're getting there because of Alfonso Davies, and now because of Ricardo Pepe and Daryl DK. No one's going to get these guys for cheap. Nobody rides for free. So we're we're very we're very excited uh, for everyone who's tuned in uh, for the podcast and the show, and we will talk because January is going to come here thick and fast with the next group of World Cup qualifiers, and the World Cup will be within reach here in a, in a couple months. Uh, as I always say, this I don't want to take up too much time. We're very excited to be joined by Ian Dark here. We'll ask him about many things. S- Good to see La Liga back this weekend. Because remember, you know, one of the things I'll talk to Ian about is the holiday season. Everyone was up in arms about the holiday period in England. Managers and players and this and ah, cancelation. Don't stop it. It's not fair, whatever it is. But it, I'm not saying it is fair. I think it's it, they need to do something about it. And COVID's obviously complicated things. But, you know, people are act, acting like this just showed up out of the blue. I mean, they've been doing <laughs> they've been doing these Boxing Day games since the, the turn of the nineteenth century. Anyhow, I do enjoy the games. You know, all said and done this holiday week, which unofficially, there's still some games coming up here, so that we're still in that holiday stretch of games. But uh, they were good. And, you know, even teams that were strong got some got some results. My West Ham Hammers, a couple road wins there. Leicester City got that win over Liverpool. And then we got to see Chelsea and Liverpool this weekend. And I know I, am, I I annoy people on Twitter because when Polisic is playing, I'm always sticking up for him. People are, I know they're rolling their eyes. But, you know, that's how I get good traffic on Twitter to talk about that. If I tell you, hey, this Real Madrid midfield's not getting it done today, crickets. If I rile people up about Christian Pulisic, yeah, we're having a conversation. And it's good. So that's fun. To, that's Twitter when it's fun for me. But uh, he scored a goal after he had a horrible start. I thought he was going to get Pulled out and and then it clicked. He got that goal at the end of the half. Beautiful goal, well controlled, finished off the left foot. Uh it was the second uh to tie it for Chelsea in a result they really needed. You know, it was incident filled. He had the Lukaku situation where he said some things to reporters about maybe going back to Italy, and he was off the team. And that benefited Pulisic in some way. Who knows? Although Thomas Tuchel's playing him a lot. It's just out of position. But when he played in that winger spot, he was able to score. He almost had a goal at the end. He had that missed opportunity. It's such a, it's such, it's fun to be engaged when he plays. And he's had a real good stretch of games. Again, playing out of position, but what is he started four or five games in a row? We'll see what happens with Chelsea. I mean, I've talked about a transfer. I don't think there's any way he's getting transferred. He's he's almost become too valuable for them again. Even though I think big picture, he probably should find another coach or club. So there we have it. Ian Dark will be joining us here in business time. Stick around for, in in the business end, stick around for stoppage time to talk about the business of MLS. This is the Soccer OG. Welcome back into the Soccer OG. We're here in the business end and it is a thrill to welcome in Ian Dark, the great Ian Dark. Ian, did you, how was your holidays? How was the new year and Christmas over there across the Atlantic?
1: Well, this year I actually had one for once because, uh, as you all well know, as, as, a, as a soccer commentator, it's very, very business in England, uh, very busy at Christmas new year period with lots of games, but I only had one for various reasons, a lot of postponements. I only had one game to cover over the whole of the holiday period. So I was able to have a family Christmas for once. <laughs>
0: well, I was, I actually spoke about this last week when, when, uh, and I don't remember hearing it at this level before, but I could be wrong. And you've covered the league uh, in England, just to give some background, very active during the holiday seasons, games on boxing day, the 26th, games on January 1st, Games on December twenty eighth through the whole week there are games, yeah. yep. uh, and obviously COVID is a big part of it. But it seemed like every manager had an axe to grind with the schedule, and it's <laughs> it, 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 and, and even like Brendan Rodgers who was upset. It, it kind of came out okay for him because Leicester had that win over Liverpool, but it it, it just seemed like a, a chorus of displeasure about the scheduling. And I and I, again, it COVID's a big part of it. But can you? Can you recall that kind of uh, pushback about these dates uh, historically? I just know in the last few years, notwithstanding 2020, I don't remember hearing it, but it was Brendan Rodgers, Thomas Tuchel, uh, Jurgen Klopp. Everyone seemed to to be to have an issue with it.
1: Yeah. Well. You know, I can remember, I'm old enough to remember a time when they used to play on Christmas Day and then the following day as well, the 26th of December. And then a couple of days after that, I think they were, well, one, you know, when the players used to have a good drink at Christmas, they'd play the next day. Um, I think there were 66 goals in the top flight that day Fulham <laughs> beat Everton. Fulham beat Everton 10 1, Blackburn won 8 2 at West Ham United. Sorry about that, Max. Um, and then the next day, West Ham went to Blackburn and won 4-1. So the moaning, really, I think everybody, the fans are pretty sick of it, to be honest with you. The squads have 25 players in. So rotate the players more if you're worried about it. And, I mean, the, the biggest moans are coming from the biggest clubs. Yeah. They're the with the biggest squads. They can rotate more. They signed up to be coaches, managers in England. This is the culture in England. This is what happens. There's a lot of festive period football. So really, I think the message is come on, get on with it.
0: I, I was surprised because I, I saw this interview with Michael, Michael Antonio, and he said, Yeah, I always remember being in a hotel for these games. I don't recall having those holidays. And I go, Do you do you wish you had it? He goes, No, I like to play. And I yeah, seen most play, of the players play. They, they want to play so uh, obviously Most it's a big would issue rather
1: play than play than train max exactly yeah. by the way you may tell them by the way I remember talking to one old manager who said to me if you keep telling the players they're tired they will be
0: <laughs> I heard some things because we've got to I think it was Brendan Rodgers. we've got to manage the players because they'll always push too hard but we've got to keep an eye on them because they'll have a game in two days and I understand all of that and you could balance it but uh from the player's perspective, I think they would go full bore in this situation. Would it be if I I don't think it would ever change and heaven knows I don't want it to change. I had a wonderful time watching these games. It was, I'd get up at 7, 8 AM here in California, sit on the couch, have a little breakfast and coffee and watch them. And, 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 you know, then my day was set for the rest of it. I loved it more of it. I thought the games were really good. Even heading to this weekend with Chelsea Liverpool, which is being lauded as one of the better games Of the last couple seasons. So entertainment wise, it was good. But do you think that there's a possibility they could if this if the complaining continues that maybe they take away December, maybe obviously not Boxing Day, but maybe December 28th or or one of these days to lessen the schedule.
1: Well, the decision really lies with the clubs themselves in the Premier League. They, they they hold the power, the 20 clubs at the moment. They like it as it is. My view is that, yes, the top clubs and the top players, maybe there is a bit of a player welfare issue. The game is a lot quicker, joking aside, than it was a, a long time ago. So two games in 48 hours, that probably is quite tough. So, yes, I could see maybe one of those festive fixtures being dropped in times to come if this debate continues the the, the way it is. But um, I don't think the fans want to see that.
0: It's always, it's amazing to see the fans. And during these games, I mean, the places were packed. And even at the tail just a couple of weeks ago with the, the league's cup, the league cup, where you wouldn't think it's prioritized, but the places, the quarterfinals venues were packed. And there was so much intensity that, it's it's hard to to take that away, whether you're in the stadium or you're watching on the television. By the way, I, I didn't follow up with that. When you were when that year when it was 10 2 and 6 1, was that because the players were out the night before?
1: <laughs> nobody officially said so but i but i think you can take it as read that let's go back to that west ham to blackburn eight it's a fair bet that the blackburn players because players did these things in those days had a pretty good drink on the train going back up north and then played west ham united the next day and <laughs> lost 4-1 at home to the team. They'd just beaten 8-2. So things like that used to happen. I mean, it isn't. Of course, it's far more professional now. The players are locked away in hotels. They're guided by sports scientists and dietitians, and they're weighed every day and nutritionists. So t- today's game it is quicker, and, it, and we have to say it is more professional. Are they better footballers? Well, you can argue that one. The old players would say, no, we were just as good. <laughs>
0: You know, Ian, I'm never on a train that often. I wish I was. We we have our cars here in LA, but to get into a train and oh. have have the the beverage cabin come through, those moments I've been mm. able to enjoy that that is that is quite a thrill. I, I would love to experience that more often, but right now it's get in your car and obviously no drinking. But yeah. I do envy being able to relax on the train and have a have a couple pops, as we say.
1: Yeah, that's one of the great things I think about the about the Premier League. Um Because England is as small as it is, you can travel almost anywhere and back in one day, even to the furthest flung outpost of the Premier League, Newcastle. You can do that in three hours on the train from London and uh, go see the match. And if it's not too late, get back again.
0: (laughs) I'm sure it was a rude awakening when you came here and you're going from Foxborough yeah, to man. Los Angeles, to Toronto Plays,
1: airports. Yes, yeah. I think people forget that seriously, Max. You know, when they when they talk about someone like Stephen Gerrard going over to play, you know, as he did in Los Angeles, um, it, it's a tough it's a tough gig, really. To be honest with you, isn't it with with half the week spent travelling? Where do you fit the training sessions in? Um, it's a completely different different culture there, and I think not everybody in Europe appreciates that. I don't blame him. I- Especially
0: nowadays, getting in these airports is is no bueno, not a lot of fun, but uh, it's always interesting to see the players and coaches come over when they experience, and the broadcasters, when you you come over, you're like, wait a minute, this is... This is yeah, enough of this I, I love
1: going to the United States, and I remember talking to Robbie Keane um, when we went to Los Angeles. He loved it there. I mean, the climate, you know, come on. The climate you're living in, it's its wonderful there on the West Coast. But
0: we had a good time. I remember we went to some honky-tonks in Nashville when we had uh, the yeah. it was a USA-Mexico game. and well, tried
1: to let some state secrets go here, Max. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how broadcasters spend their downtime. Yeah, it's a, um, well, do you remember... We, were you? I can't remember, Max. Were you there for the Snow Classico? In I was not.
0: No, no I, I missed well, that one. But
1: That was the craziest game we ever covered. There was like four inches of snow on the. I've never seen a game go ahead in those conditions or carry on in those conditions.
0: Should it, it, ha- should it have?
1: It was fun. It was great fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: should that game have continued?
1: oh probably not no but i mean jürgen klinsmann pulled off a <laughs> pulled off a master stroke really kept telling the referee we play in germany all the time when it's this deep he's saying it's this this deep it's no problem we carry on <laughs> and <laughs> the <laughs> <Western> <laughs> players wanted to carry on playing the game because usa were 1-0 up it was a vital world cup qualifier they thought if it was abandoned that result would stand <laughs> so yeah, they, they they didn't seem to get get it. They, the best thing to do was get off that pitch. But it was a, hey, it was a lot of fun, and I still got those old pictures of, of Bob Lee and covered in ice all over his hands, <laughs> his balaclava. It's crazy.
0: And and where do they get those those Russian? I don't know what they're called, but the alexi had one with the the flaps covering the ears. Yeah. And they just came out of nowhere, and it all of us. I was I I wasn't ready for those optics when I turned it on and said, "What's yeah. what's going on in Colorado?"
1: How, how did Alexi have that? You know,
0: he's in—he's an LA man. <laughs> yeah, he just—he popped it in his his luggage, yeah. he, i guess clairvoyance, if nothing else. Was um, very envious. Very envious. I, I would—I I do want to talk about um, your experiences covering the game here, but I—I I, I want to go back to what happened this week. And obviously, the—we—I I touched on the Chelsea, uh, Chelsea Liverpool game.
1: Yeah,
0: ended up a tie. It, it, it allows Manchester City, I think, to open up a ten-point lead now. So we look at that Premier League race, it's certainly not over, but it's hard to see Manchester City uh, being touched. They've actually beaten all the the really good teams and even even beating Arsenal this weekend when the Gunners played really well, and yet Manchester City found a way. But to Chelsea and Liverpool, so much in this game beforehand with Romelu Lukaku, have you... I mean, I've never I think that was the right decision by Thomas Tuchel not to play him because that was really bizarre what he said about wanting to go. It's. It was it. It's, it seems like it all came out and I, it was just I didn't know if he had any other option what to do in that situation.
1: Um, he gave the interview three weeks ago. He just got back from injury at that time and they were managing his minutes a little bit. Um, Chelsea. And I think it was around the time of the Manchester United game when Chelsea dropped more points at home in that 1-1 draw game. They probably should have won on the the balance of play. So I think he was quite frustrated. But what you've got to realise with Lukaku is he's a very bright guy. So that interview would have been quite calculated. He knew what he was saying to to the Italian television channel. Um, And his frustration, I think, at his Chelsea situation just spilled over a little bit what he, he didn't say, I want to leave Chelsea. I no. think he, he did. He did the interview to try to make it up with the Inter fans, so he felt he'd left without saying goodbye to. But it kind of backfired because he spilled over into saying, "Well, you know, Tuchus changed the system at Chelsea, and he, you know, it doesn't he hinted it, it didn't suit him and that maybe he was unhappy there, but." I think he's bright enough to know, you know that he's got to get on with it. So Tuchel had to do something about it. He could have kept it all in-house. He needn't, have gone, he needn't have gone public. He could have just said, we'll deal with this internally and moved on, Find him a couple of weeks' wages. All right, he can afford a couple of weeks' wages. Um, but he's really decided he'll make a public stand. No, out the team, and we'll talk about it today, which is what is going to happen. But I suspect it will be it will be quite quickly settled. But, uh, you know, they played very well without him. Very yeah,
0: well. uh, it, it's, that's an interesting point you make about wanting to remain endeared to the Inter fans and mm. in keeping these allegiances, which you can't really fault them for. I mean, these players, it's a very romantic sport. And there's an attachment there and I can understand it. Whatever was taken out of context, possibly in that article, who's to know? It was just a bit odd. But as, as you said, they played very well without him and you know the, the pressure had to be mounting for Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea because of the way they were going, and they're down two goals. I think you're wondering they weren't playing badly. They're down two goals. Is this going to be a, a a really is this a, a fall off point? Do they lose by four or five? And instead, a really nice response, and could have probably won that game by the end of it. It was uh. I, by the way, I'll, I'll follow up with Christian Pulisic in a moment, but the Thomas Tuchel. It seems like this, the, the way they play and the, how they're going to trot out their 11, it's far from being firm, A, because they don't have a full squad as they would like. And a lot of guys playing out of position and this Romelu Lukaku situation didn't help. I would have I would they need to buy time. They're, I don't think they're going to win the Premier League, but certainly to stay in the top four, they're going to get better here at some point. Things just have to settle a little bit, I would imagine.
1: Well, they've drawn five of their last six games at Stamford Bridge now, Max. That's too many. And I covered them against Everton recently. Everton had four kids of the team who hadn't played all season and managed to get a point there against the European champions. So they have gone off the boil. Yeah, they've had a few injury problems, but doesn't everybody? Um, maybe a few more than most, but they've got a very expensive, deep squad. So I think tuca has got a little bit of, bit of an issue there now everything had gone so wonderfully well for him until a couple of months ago when they were leaving the table now they're something like 16 to 1 with the bookmakers to win the championship because they've dropped so many points at home so yesterday was more like it that was that was the Chelsea you expect to see yesterday I think you know going back to Lukaku that the issue there now is does Tuchel think or did he really want Lukaku or was it like a Chelsea signing made above his head by somebody like Marina Granovsky who runs the show there on a day-to-day basis at Stamford Bridge because he might think maybe we're better playing this way without Lukaku there having said that Romelu came on at Villa and basically won the game for them um, you know looked his, looked his old self so you know as ever he's <laughs> ever with the Premier League there are a million narratives and this is this is a nice story to follow
0: It sure is. Look, it it seems like a a perfect fit. If he could do what he did at Inter over at Chelsea, they need that center forward who can draw attention, which when he played well, as you mentioned in the Villa game, he does perfectly. However, it doesn't always go that smoothly. And the the managing of the minutes, was, it was, I think it took people by surprise. I will say that it, it used to be these, it's still a very silly season with regards to, and the money in the premier league is, is continuing to run in from the the broadcast deals across the board yeah. from the big ownerships. But we had those two hundred million, you know, just over hundred million dollar transfers, Grealish to City and Lukaku to Chelsea. And I wonder if there's any discouragement moving forward because of those, and I know the, the Hollands and the Mbappe is gonna drop supposedly to Real Madrid. We will see, but those big, those big deals. And even Jaden Sancho, to a lesser degree, although he's starting to play a lot better. I mean, do you steer clear of those massive deals now? Obviously, these guys have very deep pockets, but it, it didn't really go well in these two instances.
1: Well, that's true. Yeah. You'd say jury out at best, wouldn't you, on, on both of those moves? You, you mentioned Lukaku still re- yet to really settle in at, at Stamford Bridge and then this latest kerfuffle, Grealish not picked for the team at the weekend had that slight disciplinary issue where there's a feeling at manchester city that does that suit him you know men- mentally i think he was the big fish in a little pool at aston villa the players looked to him to win win the games now he's just another player at city so again it'll be interesting to see what pep uh what tune pep can get out of him Going forward, at the moment, he seems a little bit out of favour. So you, you might be right. I mean, how many clubs can afford those kind of fees? You're only talking about three or four in the, in the whole of Europe. you know, you can rule out Barcelona for the moment because they're deep in debt, as we've been we, we've been hearing. So yeah, Mbappe to Real that looks a that looks a done deal. Um, yeah, Sancho's moved to Manchester United again. I'd say still jury out there. He's played well in a couple of games recently but only in a couple of games recently so if you're going to invest that kind of money you'd better be very 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 sure uh, yeah. that it's going to be a payoff for you and not many teams can afford to do it so you know the real stars in a way now are the recruitment offices uh, Officers, if you can find a guy a player who's playing say for some club in france that nobody else has picked up on And the classic case is N'Golo Conte of Chelsea cost Leicester five and a half million. They sold it. They sold him to Chelsea for 30 million. Um, He's won everything. What is he worth now? (laughs) So that's one of, that's one of the great bits of business in the Premier League in the recent era.
0: Yeah. And he's, he was excellent on Sunday and you can see the value of what he is able to do. And with Grealish and, Lukaku it's it's interesting because they were in such great places they were flourishing and they were happy and they were they were worshipped in many ways but it, this is the nature of the beast and they go to these places where the the kind of the happiness ends for a little bit because it may not be the right fit but alas that's the business we're in
1: yeah and and with Grealish i'd say is, is he a little bit frightened to give the ball away at manchester city in the in the pep style when really he should the instructions to him was Take on your defender, go past them. If you if we lose the ball, other people will cover that. So maybe he doesn't feel he has quite the same license. I don't know. But um, you, you mentioned Christian Pulisic. Um, I thought that was his best performance of the season yesterday against Liverpool. He, I, he
0: obviously there was some criticism because of the opportunity he missed early on, and then he had that great goal, and he had a great chance also in the second half. And we're going through this phenomenon here in uh in the United States Ian, following these American stars because they weren't there before but now we we look at the biggest clubs Chelsea obviously is the European champions and you have Christian Pulisic who I think he started four or five games in a row and he's he's logging a lot of minutes for Thomas Tuchel you have Weston McKinney at Juventus Sergio Dest at Barcelona Tyler Raps for Leipzig who made a semi-final so it's not an isolated incident we're at the Champions League and there's six or seven guys and all of a sudden, where we were like looking for an American that could carry the torch, there's a bevy, and it looks like that's going to continue to grow. We just had this news of Ricardo Pepe going from FC Dallas to Augsburg for $20 which is going to blow the doors off in any MLS homegrown record. But Christian Pulisic obviously is the guy and the high profile in the Premier League. There's not a ton of Americans there, but we we all tune in, and I'm sure you see the Twitter feed. I go off the deep end, and we're all defending him because he's not playing in the position he wants, and he's a real good, he's a real trooper, and he, he played some right wing back, which I thought he played pretty well at, but he also has filled in at that nine, false nine, whatever we call it, for Lukaku while he wasn't there. Got to play some winger as well, and I wonder if Chelsea's the the best fit. It's I guess it's hard to judge right now because there is so much disarray. But I wonder if long term in that Tuchel system, if it's if it's going to be it. Because in addition to watching him every week, we're all you know we're all got the World Cup and the World Cup qualifying in the back of the head, which has been illuminated because we didn't make it four years ago. But it was good to see him play that way. I think I I think he's pretty well received by the Chelsea fans. How how is for, I mean obviously people we're very parochial with regards to our soccer here. I know we're a big country, but our, our soccer following is very small. So we, we, we're it's, we lift Pulisic high, probably beyond where he should be lifted, but how is he viewed as a player within Chelsea and in England in general?
1: I think he's an exciting player and is accepted as an exciting player when he's fully fit and sharp. And I think they have got him back fully fit and sharp uh, now As to his place and position in the team, it's so competitive to get in the team at Chelsea. I think Christian would take any starting position. Um, But, you know, his fitness has been an issue since he got to Stamford Bridge. He's been unlucky. You know, remember, he was playing out of his skin at the FA Cup final. He'd scored. He gets injured in that game, misses the start of the next season. And so it's kind of gone on. What he really needs, Christian, now is is to play a, a whole season without any problems. I'd be fascinated to see what he could do with a real run of games and really building up a, a head of steam. He's a terrific young player. He's a, he's a he's a great young lad as well. I remember speaking to him when he was just the boy wonder, breaking into the, the US team and telling us how to pronounce his name and insisting that we called him Polisic, not, you know, like he was called in Hershey, Pennsylvania, not Pulisic or anything like that. So um, there are still some commentators trying to learn that, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> all kinds of things, but uh, it is Pulisic. Um, so yeah i think that you know the us fans are right to be excited about him he's he's flying the flag and, and you mentioned those other players as well and you know there was so much doom and depression about the united states team rightly so failing to qualify for that last world cup but they can look forward to this next one i think with some degree of excitement and they are making waves and that is being noticed and being commented on uh, over this side of uh, of the atlantic as well that you know, maybe the United States could be a team to watch at the World Cup. Let's hope they are, because, I, you know, look, all those years I covered the team. Uh, I did develop a, a soft spot for them.
0: <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that in a moment. But uh, do you think there might be some folks in, in the United Kingdom that will support this U.S. team because of? <laughs> the players, they're familiar with the players because they like the way they play. I get the feeling they'll start gaining some global fans, small little pockets here and there. But to your point, I, did, I'm a, I didn't I am did see this coming when we were there in 2017, rock bottom. I go, how long? We'll qualify for these next World Cups, but how optimistic will we be about the sport? I'm pretty mm-hmm. optimistic, and there's still a, a, a conveyor belt of more talent coming in, and it's... I I don't know, sometimes I wonder how the sausages are made when it comes to U.S. soccer because there was this talent here, but now it's sort of being exposed a little bit more. They're finding their way. And obviously European clubs are paying notice as well because I think maybe the key is they're making these moves to these European leagues and they're doing well. And because of those sacrifices by those American players, I think more European clubs feel more comfortable. Is that fair to say? About recruiting the American player? Uh,
1: uh, yeah, I think it's regarded as a as a very good market. And the deal you just mentioned about with Pepe to uh, Augsburg, I think, proves that if players are good enough, they're going to be snapped up. There's a, a lot of Americans now playing in the in the Champions League. My worry a little bit with this next World Cup is it may be too soon. It's it's a young team um, at the at their first World Cup. Nearly all of those players. So it might be the one after, the one that's in the United States, where they're all about 27, 28, and experienced, Of all the rough edges have gone, where they could be very dangerous. And there may be a few others come through between now and then as well. But that's not to say um, they won't make a bit of a splash in, in Qatar. They, they might do. I think they're going to qualify Um you know, great win over Mexico and all that. So morale's good. It worries me a little bit too um, because of COVID and, and a lot of other reasons, they're not getting that much experience playing against European teams that spend all their time playing against CONCACAF teams just because of the way that the the schedule is these days. So, um, you know, the, you, people have talked about the Klinsman era. but one thing he did do was there was a lot of games against the top European teams that the United States played for experience and in his defense I'd say uh, at the 2014 World Cup that showed a little bit they were in a very difficult group and got through it when everybody was tipping them to go out. Ian, it's for that reason I'm I I am a supporter of a
0: biennial World Cup I know it's a very unpopular opinion really? well <laughs> this is the reason just because when the U.S. is looking for games against top teams in the world the best way to do it is to have maybe an additional World Cup as opposed to playing the Gold Cup, as opposed to playing Nations League and CONCACAF. When I see that UEFA and comebol are going to combine their Nations League, I'm like, that's what CONCACAF should have done with comebol But obviously those alignments to me say, maybe we've A, got to get into competitions with the African and the Asian regions or whatever it's going to look like. Because my fear is that the the... the the stronger regions get bigger, and then we're kind of okay, wait. Who are we going to play? We're going to keep playing Costa Rica. Or we're not going to get better if we keep doing that. So I think it's a legit, it's a legit concern, and that's why I I, I don't I said it here on the podcast, but I, I keep it very low that I am a supporter of the biennial World Cup. I usually keep that under my hat so I don't get yelled at.
1: <laughs> I'm not a supporter of it because <laughs> I think it's like the Olympics. It's special because of, because of its rarity value. If there's another one coming along all the time in another two years, it'll soon feel like some kind of you know, ten a penny sort of event if, if you're not careful. I get it from the United States point of view. You're right, Max. From the United States point of view, it, w- it would be good because, yeah, they'd be in a big competition every two years. In in theory, but is it the right thing for the World Game? I've I've heard the arguments of Arsene Wenger about okay, so it gives the chance for you know Burkina Faso or you know Indonesia or play teams who've never been to the World Cup to play in it. But it, you know my answer to that is it's not a village tombola. This you know where everyone gets a go. It's meant to be the cream. It's meant to be the cream of world football, which is why I'm also opposed to the 48 team. World Cup, because, you know, I don't know how they're going to manage that. Um, I don't know. But, um, you know, 32, that's fine.
0: And I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that front. And it should be difficult to make a World Cup. And it should be for it's maybe something you'll remember. All I, I will, I'll, I'll just throw this in in closing, is when I saw that European final between England and Italy, I'm like, this is better than a World Cup final. The quality was there, the crowd, the intensity, and I go, no one in the world would be able to match that. So the Euros, that competition was fantastic. And I know you've, you've covered them for ESPN, and you've covered them many yeah. times, but that to me felt, even in an expanded format, there was just so many good teams to watch that it felt World cup for lack of a better word
1: the euros the euros always have been pretty good actually in in recent editions because it, yeah it is like quite thick cream all the teams have got a chance against each other um yeah it was great competition it's worth noting that the last four world cups now have been won by european nations so it's time for brazil and argentina to to stick up their hands again at this next one
0: let me ask you about that because i think the World Cup in Qatar might, no, it well, it will even the playing field. I think we've seen that in past World Cups. How much? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think of South Korea and Japan, in lesser degree South Africa, which was won by a European team. South, South Korea, Japan was won by Brazil, but you had the USA in the quarterfinals. You had Senegal and Turkey, South Korea mm-hmm. make deep runs. I'm under the feeling that Qatar might uh, facilitate that. It all depends on the draw, but I would I think there's there will be something against the grain from past the last couple World Cups, certainly Russia, where it was, I think, six of eight European teams in the quarterfinals mm-hmm. where maybe an African team makes the breakthrough, maybe USA or Mexico, certainly one of the South American teams. If, if the European teams if a European team two like we had in 2018, make the final and four semifinals, I think it's a it's a it's a pretty clear verdict of the state of the game and how strong UEFA is a, a, in comparison to the others. So the pressure is for these regions, I think, to to close the gap. And I think this World Cup, they might have that opportunity.
1: Be good for the the World Game, I think. If if Brazil, Argentina, or one of the other South American nation nations do make a a really good run at it, um, I, I'd like to see that. I'm with you, Max. I think that the climate, the time of year that that could help, um. The South American teams, or as you say, maybe a surprise outsider like, hey, the USA uh, go go very well at that World Cup. But the European teams will be super strong again. Remember, it's being held in November and December. Often a problem for the European teams when it's a summer World Cup is they've just coming off a very long, hard, hectic season. This time they're just two and a half months into the season, nicely wound up. And, and ready to go so they could they could be even stronger <laughs> this is I mean I, I,
0: the, they'll have a break in the summer but it's been crazy with the players certainly the high profile European leagues have had to endure and I should say the South Americans as well because there's been you know game after game and it's I, it's good to think that they might be a little fresher because it's in that time of the year but I, I, I wonder what how we'll look back at how the burden we have put on these players because there is one there is one because there's so many games to make up there's postponements uh mm-hmm. I've, I've learned to respect what these players have gone through more than ever but it has to be difficult and i hope it's there's not a situation where players crack or or, or are unable to compete or injuries start to proliferate i don't think we've seen it but i'm surprised we haven't because it's been so much work for these guys
1: well, was it Courtois, Thibaut Courtois, the Real yeah. goalkeeper, who came out recently and said the players aren't robots? So we're kind of where we came in here on the the, the Christmas schedule that the managers have been moaning about too many games. But I don't think that's that's the issue necessarily that the festive program. But yes, is there an overload for the very top players, the ones who play? all through the league season and in the cups and in the champions league then for their international teams jetting off to south america and back to play in in those world cup qualifiers then you know in a major championship year in year out and then they probably only get three weeks off each year so yeah we do have to we do have to look at that and we do have to look after the players i think the clubs can rotate more because certainly the premier league clubs have got you know the top ones 25 players And probably the guys on the bench are are worth £50 million, (laughs) a fair few of them. So they can rotate more. Um, Yeah, I think it will be looked at. I think it will be looked at. And they they do have to somehow maintain some kind of safety level for the players. Because when you get that fatigued, there is a a risk of injuries, particularly muscle injuries. So... I think, yeah, we've got to a point where that will be examined. And then it's down to FIFA <laughs> to, 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 to do something about, the, to, something about the schedule. Yeah, well, everyone wants to add to this. Everyone wants to add to this. Hold your breath, Max, because, you know, money makes the world go round at the moment. Everybody's trying to make big money, aren't they? More events, more sports, more TV revenue. Um, so see what happens. My feeling is FIFA is going to jump in. If they don't, someone
0: else will take the space. Maybe UEFA will come up with a tournament or or the leagues will expand things a little bit or God forbid the Super League comes up again. But everyone's probing in for that space. If there's a little bit of real estate of a game, they're like, we'll take it without really thinking about let's how the
1: tournament yeah let's invent another tournament <laughs> Pop let's, uh, in there. <laughs> Japan against you know, the Asian nations against the top European clubs and so on you said but you know there's another this is a long and complicated argument because all these the managers of the top clubs they're all moaning about how many games they've got to play and player welfare but what do they do when they get a break they take the club, the players are off to you know on a long flight to Asia or something you know in non-COVID times um, or halfway around Australia picking up jet lag. Uh, so that, that isn't good for player welfare, <laughs> is it? You know, um, Pep, and, Pep Guardiola and, and Klopp are moaning recently. Pep Guardiola didn't make a single substitution um, in Manchester City's win at Brentford, not one. So were all those 11 players, they're okay to do the full 90, are they? Jurgen <laughs> Klopp, he's been moaning as well. So they play Liverpool are playing in a dead rubber in the Champions League, last game of the Champions League. They picked Mo Salah and Sadio Mane from the start in that game. Why? Why not rest them? Yeah. Why not rest I, them? It's such a big issue. So I'd like somebody to have asked those questions at, at a Liverpool-Manchester City press conference. But they, they've probably been blown out of town by uh, a clever answer from the two managers concerned. Oh,
0: they are very good. They're very good yeah, at they
1: that. They are very good. Oh, yeah. I,
0: I would be terrified to ask.
1: To, you don't don't try to outwit those guys.
0: No. Well, the, the, they're general
1: good questions, aren't they?
0: The journalists are really good questions. They're not giving me any cheapies. they are no softballs, but they just know how to respond. That's why I would be quiet in the back row, Ian, and I'll just scribble what someone else (laughs) asked.
1: Very wise, Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's... Uh, by the way, we didn't even talk about the substitutions. That's another thing about five or three. And
1: uh, Wick, You commentate at times, Max, and so do I. And yeah. I don't think, I've never met a commentator who's in favor of five substitutions because nope. uh, you know, you're changing half the outfield players, for goodness sake. Half the outfield players. So you're thinking, well, who's out there now? I've kept a pretty careful note of this, but who's out there now? Where's he playing now? How they? It's pretty tough. It's a tough enough job. It's a tough enough job when there's 22 players. Now there's, what, uh, 36 or something like that to take account of.
0: I'm not very organized with my lineup cards either. So when that happens, it is absolute bedlam and it's not pretty. No I'd rather way. no one see it.
1: No easy way, Max. No easy I, way. I promise you. Not without having an army of people helping you, handing <laughs> you this When We don't have that. We people don't. Think we, do,
0: we don't. Twel- Twelman's the only one who has it. He has Mark Connolly helping him out with that. But that's a luxury not, f- not for everyone. Twelman is at another stratosphere with regards to it. But so be it. Uh, but speaking, of, your work in the United States, um, you uh, endeared yourself to the American public so quickly that people felt very comfortable when you were calling games. I know being from England and calling us games. And I talked to you about it. It's, you know, you, you want to make sure you do it the right way to be inclusive of that American audience. And you always seem to do it where, you know, you became almost a proxy American here in many ways when calling that games. How, how did you approach that when you had that opportunity to come here and, and call games, uh, European games, but also games featuring uh, the U S men's national team?
1: It all happened by accident at the beginning because um, I was hired by ESPN to cover the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. Um, Martin Tyler was was the main man. He wanted to cover England. Uh, England and USA were in the same group, so they were playing at the same time, apart from when England-USA game itself. Um, so I got to get cover the USA matches, and that's how it came to be that I, you know, cover that famous game against Algeria where they score right in you know, stoppage time and save their lives at the World Cup and so on. So, yeah, then they were kind enough uh, at ESPN to say, well, you know, how do you like to carry on covering the team? And so, yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed it. Um, and I developed a bit of an association and I enjoyed the access that I got. You don't get that, you see, in England. So you go for a coffee with Jürgen Klinsmann at 10.30 mm-hmm. on the morning of the game and he chats chats to you about things and then, you know, they'll lay on players for you, go to the training the night before and, you know, pl- players will be sent over to chat to you. So it was it was great to cover. I, I really enjoyed it. And as I said to you, I I really developed a soft spot for the team. You know, I wanted to see them do well. And how did I approach it? Well, I, I took the view straight away. Look, there's a lot of people. It's not like it used to be in the United States where very, very few people kind of really followed the game it seemed to me on a on a serious basis. Now there's loads of people who, you know, their knowledge is great of the game. So my advice is don't talk down to this audience at all. You know, they, this, this, this is this is a really good, you know, scene that's going on here. I mean, people have not, uh, the American scene about major league soccer say, well, you know, it's, maybe it's not as good as the Premier League and Serie A and League on, but it's as good as a lot of European leagues. It's as good as yeah. a lot. You know, it is. Um, so just because it isn't as, as big as the, the, the Premier League, well, what else is financially? Um, you know, it's making great strides. The game's making great strides. The players are starting to break through as Champions League operators. So I think it's all pretty good news, really. And it's great to see the game growing, I've really enjoyed covering the U.S. team. I wish I could do it a little bit more um, these days, but TV rights are TV rights. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 do, we do what we can do, but um, no, I've got I've got I've got nothing but love and respect, really. Uh, and I've had some great times um, covering both the men's and women's team in in the USA. Men's
0: and and the Major League Soccer. And I remember we were there sometimes. I always got the impression you were really just. Uh, in, in, impressed with the personalities and who you would run into and the differences between covering the the galaxy and then Toronto FC, there would be, you know, yeah. the managers and the, the players all very unique. And I, I, I would, I'd kind of nudge up against your shoulder and hear the questions you would ask. And it was, I thought that you asked all the right questions about these challenges of playing in major league soccer and, and how it's different and how, you, you as a player, you would approach playing here, but it was good to see how you appreciated that, and I it rubbed off on me and the way I covered it as well. And it was uh it was a fun time. Do you have a Do you have a favorite game that you covered? Obviously, USA Algeria had to be right at the top, but yeah, what, maybe the what was what was the one where the Abby Wambach? Oh, the,
1: that was yeah, that was USA uh, women's team against Brazil. Yes, um, USA had had uh, one of the. One of the women had been sent off, so they were down to 10 players. Um, it had gone to extra time and they needed to score. Otherwise, they were going out of the World Cup as favourites very, very early. Uh, yeah, and um, Megan Rapino crossed and Abby Wambach headed in. I think it was the 122nd minute. So that in in the women's game was, was as dramatic as the Landon Donovan one. Uh, against algeria so yeah things like that seem to keep happening and then and then there's <laughs> no classico game as well i didn't cover quite as much of, of, of major league soccer i did a couple of mls cups um but adrian healy did did um did most of most of the league so i had no kind of uh exclusive on that so you know it's it's great that you're, uh, you know, you're you're living <laughs> in L.A. now and uh, living. We need to come. I mean, right. We had some good we had some we had some really good times together in a crack. Yeah,
0: indeed. And you're welcome. Come see an LAFC game. We'll give you the red carpet. Oh, I'd
1: love to come. I'd love to come. Actually, I might take you up on that. <laughs> get, a, get a game of golf. And if I can ever beat the L.A. traffic. <laughs> I've it got rained. stories about myself in L.A. trying to drive <laughs> rental cars. <laughs>
0: Well, it rained here. when it rains here, it goes crazy. And I was in Studio City, which is in the San Fernando Valley. It's a 20-mile drive to where I live in Redondo Beach. It took me three and a half hours. So no beverage cart on the train. It was just white-knuckling it uh, in bumper-to-bumper traffic in the rain.
1: That's no fun, is it? No, it's not. No fun. Does West Ham finish in the top four? Uh. I don't think they will, to be honest. They're going to have a great season. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't think they're going to make top four. Um, but they're a good side. And, you know, it's great they're having this European run as well. That'll be exciting for them, I think, in the spring. Because I think they've got a right chance of, you know, really making a, a very big run in that.
0: I think so, too. And I think the way they balanced the competitions was a really pleasant surprise because it didn't overwhelm them. They've been able to keep their head above water but I would agree with you I think maybe fifth or sixth probably six is where they end up which is a great
1: yeah, that would be good wouldn't it that would be a very good finish for West Ham yeah. I think they do need to buy a couple the squad looks a little bit thin with the injuries they've got especially at the back you know with Ogbonna out all season Zuma's going to be pretty long term Cresswell's been missing for a few weeks now you know that's three of the four so that's shown a little bit in with some of the recent games
0: from the games I watched they go at Masuaku, whoever's on that left side, without Crestfall there, that's the that's the attacking that, that's the weak spot as it is. But still, you know, more more positives than negatives. And and before we we part ways here, Ian, how, what's going on with Pompey? I know
1: that's <laughs> I'm not sure laughing. there's an audience for this on your podcast. But, you know, I just lost I hanging. just lost the remainder are of the, the audience. Are there a lot of Pompey fans hanging on <laughs> the, the, this Max Fritos?
0: <laughs> I just. I just love on Twitter, Uh, we'll talk about the big games and you will throw throw the Pompey tweet in.
1: (laughs) I don't need any second invitation. They're actually, they haven't played since December the 11th because of COVID outbreaks, so they're playing today against Cambridge. Uh, we're talking about the third tier now. This is a team, remember, we're in the Premier League for you know, seven, eight years, um, won the FA Cup 2008. Uh, great support, south coast of England. It's where I was born, which is why I follow them and always have and always will. Um, so we're hopeful that we can might be, make the playoffs in League One and for once actually get through them this time and go back to where we belong, which is kind of like the championship. So. Yeah. They deserve. They deserve to be there, and yeah, we're we, we're due a break. I think we're due a break on in those playoffs. So let's well, see.
0: I was on at Fox, and I got to cover the Premier League, and that was one of my most memorable FA Cup scores Was it Portsmouth and Cardiff, right? So two outsiders.
1: Yeah. Well, Portsmouth had knocked Manchester United out, I and mean, it was Cardiff, a Championship team, in the final. But they w- went to Old Trafford in the quarterfinal and beat Manchester United that year. So they, say, they deserve to do it.
0: They say that that would never happen, and it did. So I would love Cardo, it. Cardiff scored
1: the winner. God,
0: was it? Was it Jimmy Floyd Hasselbaink, or was he with Cardiff, or was he one of those?
1: No, yeah, no, no, uh, no he was. Disregard uh, that.
0: I just, I'm, uh, my memory's not as good as yours, Ian. For some reason, in maintaining specific things that happen in these games.
1: Yeah, I can't remember the, too much about the Cardiff that day but i can I, tell you plenty about the pompey
0: one we'll have we're gonna ian we're gonna have a podcast just about portsmouth cardiff 2008 okay
1: <laughs> don't give me ideas uh, <laughs> i'm not sure anyone will watch but anyway
0: ian i appreciate you uh taking some time with me it's great to chat with you i really uh cherish the time i get to spend with uh wonderful people like yourself and uh, have a great 2022 and uh hopefully we'll talk here soon
1: Yeah, I hope so, Max. It's great to see you again. Looking so well. And uh, I'm glad as you as you (laughs) in L.A. And I might take you up on that invitation to come and see LAFC. Ian,
0: we and we will you will have the time of your life. They'll throw you in front of the 3252. They'll carry you off on their shoulders. You will not (laughs) want to go home until you hit the traffic.
1: That sounds embarrassing
0: (laughs) (laughs) for everyone to see. Well done, Ian. We'll talk very soon. We'll be back here on the Soccer OG with Stoppage Time. Welcome back. Time now for Stoppage Time. Wonderful to chat with Ian. He really is the guy that you see on TV in real life. And getting to go out on the road when we had some time here covering... The U.S. Men's National Team, and I remember once in Foxborough and once in Nashville. It was uh, just a great guy, and ask a lot of questions and learn from him. It was uh, it was a wonderful experience because I got to tell you, these guys in England, like Ian Dark and John Champion and Martin Tyler, um, Jim Proudfoot, these guys are rock stars. To be the best soccer announcer in the United Kingdom means you're the best sports announcer. It's the equivalent of the best that we have here when it comes to covering NFL, you know, Jim Nance and Al Michaels, you know, it's that level. So it's good It's good to call them and get them on the podcast. So on stoppage time, and I do encourage you to go check out my YouTube, Max Bretos, I'll talk more about this, but it was an incredible weekend with regards to Major League Soccer and their, their plan of action of developing players. And now they have this academy that's going to be coming through And they are going to take complete charge of the development of the players. Is that a great idea? Perhaps not. Uh, There's a lot of things that worked with regards to getting these players ready. USL has had some great success stories. U.S. soccer from top to bottom is very splintered. Uh, You have the single entity of Major League Soccer. And look, they they are looking to take control of the process of developing a league which includes developing players to be sold to Europe and they've made a big breakthrough here with Ricardo Pepe and Daryl DK. Daryl D.K. going for around 10 million dollars with a lot of add-ons to West Brom and then Ricardo Pepe this stunning total of 20 million which seemed like it would never get here. Major League Soccer players across the board have all been undervalued with regards to those transfers from West McKinney when he was part of that FC Dallas Academy to Alfonso Davies. At some point, when you're coming for these players, look, these MLS clubs are going to want to sell them. Uh, Six, seven million dollars, that was unheard of for someone to come in and get a guy like Brian Reynolds or, uh, oh, who's, his name escapes me, for the, the Colorado Rapids. I'll get back to it. Um, but um, it's... Uh, It's a it's a it's part of the business plan. Prior to that, the money that was coming into Major League Soccer was from these expansion teams coming in and they don't get a lot in the form of the media rights. Sam Vines was the guy's name. I forgot. Uh, You got him for a song. He starts every day for Royal Antwerp. There's so many European leagues looking for that kind of talent. So you're looking for different streams of income to help bolster this league, which is, you know, losing money across the board. And $20 million is with a single entity. That kind of goes back into the coffers of the league. Certainly, Dallas, FC Dallas is going to benefit that in a big way. But you get the idea that this is going to be happening with more frequency. And then the next big name is going to come. On a personal level, just to see this kid... Ricardo Pepe, in two years, emerged the way he has to where he's able to get this move. A guy who could have sworn his allegiances to Mexico said he's going to be with the U.S. He came in, he rescued the day in that World Cup qualifier, and now this. And when you're spending $20 million for a player, you're going to play him. He's going to start every game that they, they have, barring any injuries or setbacks, he is going to be the feature number nine. And they play a 4-4-2. So there's going to be two forwards. There is some concern with the club when you look at... I haven't watched a lot of Augsburg's games. I'm not going to tell you I have. I, I will starting now. Uh, it's such a fun way to to consume the sport as an American. It's random that all of a sudden, one day you're not watching Augsburg or West Brom or Barnsley. And then all of a sudden you are. But it's very satisfying to, to watch those games it's not I don't feel like it's wasted you're watching it you're pulling for these American guys as I said to to Ian we're a parochial bunch we're a small we're a huge country but our soccer community is small we want it to grow but we look out for our national team at all cost that's why we defend Christian Pulisic that's why we I for one and you know I say it so many times will uh I'll, I'll get in a Twitter fight or whatever is required defending our players even though maybe I might be in the wrong sometimes I don't care those are our guys and I'll defend them so when I see we splinter a little bit with our national team and we ridicule some guys I'm not on board with that we got to look out for everyone on this team so uh, this was a seismic day uh when you look at that and Tom Bogart had a great tweet about the business of MLS and he mentioned Sam Vines and Tejon Buchanan and Obviously, Ricardo Pepe and the Daryl DK moves. And the Daryl DK one's going to get bigger. There's no doubt about it. But Taddy Castellanos is out there. Not an American, but developed in Major League Soccer. And over a few years, this young Argentine, who was part of the Citigroup at Torque Montevideo in Uruguay, came here. So now you see MLS is in allegiance with groups like the Citigroup and Red Bull, which are all into the development process. There's a lot of know-how. There's a lot of people that can develop these players, and we've seen it. We need more of them, though. But the successes at FC Dallas, the Red Bulls, when you look at Tyler Adams and Caden Clark. Caden Clark actually had some bad news. He's going to come back on loan for the Red Bulls, not ready for that move. Uh, Brendan Aronson from Philadelphia Union. But these, these academies, it's going to get bigger and better. Look at Los Angeles. We haven't even kicked the tires on this area. There's some places, you know, Central Texas with Austin. There is talent out there. And hopefully, if done well, Major League Soccer will be able to identify them so that this kind of thing happens all the time. To the folks that say, why are we losing all these American players? It doesn't help our league. These leagues will be bolstered by bringing more money. It is a conveyor belt. It uh, It is bring it in one way, refine things, and let it come out the other way as a diamond. And it's happening more frequently. But there will be talent coming into the league. It may not be young American talent. Hang on to those moments where you get to see Ricardo Pepe or Weston McKinney or Brendan Aronson because it will be fleeting because they will be going to the next step. But now these players know this is a way to develop. They don't necessarily have to go to exterior academies or even take a wild jump like Christian Pulisic did and go over to Europe. I mean, what Christian Pulisic did was really difficult. And you have to give him credit for being able to stay above water where now he is the biggest star we have here in the United States. Even though he's probably spent very little time in the United States over the last few years. But that's the commitment to the game. But these guys want to start in MLS if they could. They want to start in their, at their local club. You know, Brendan Aronson, who's from, what, I think he's from Pennsylvania. Yeah, he's from Pennsylvania. He wants to start at Philadelphia Union. Um these guys have to have that outland. We don't have clubs all over the country, but I, hopefully that, that is, there's going to be powers that be that identify them. Um, for the record, the Daryl DK move to West Brom, I actually like it better than the Ricardo Pepe. He's getting reunited with the manager that he had at Barnsley, Valerian Ismael, who on all accounts is a fantastic young manager in the game. And he said, I want this guy. West Brom are in fourth place in the championship. It's a big club. It's a Premier League club, even though they're in the championship. They'll get back up at some point. And they want Daryl DK, who is just made for the Premier League. Big, strong, athletic, physical. And he's already had a successful spell at Barnsley. So coming back here, knowing the proof of concept, and this manager saying, I want him at all costs, spending $10 million for West Brom is is a huge commitment. Spending $20 million at Augsburg goes without saying. There's also this chatter about this American owner, David Blitzer, who was at Augsburg, helped facilitate that move. And my response to that, so what? That's what getting back to the part of American is where it benefits. If you have American owners or American coaches or American executives, which we do have in Europe, uh, broadcasters, et cetera, we help out the American players. You don't go above and beyond. It's not like helping your kid. But if it's this or that, you'll lean into it. And I'm all for it. And I see more of it. And this is a really good day to be a fan of the sport. I'm I, just opening Twitter and seeing the Daryl D K news. And I'm like, huh! and then the peppy news after all this Wolfsburg that Wolfsburg wanted him. And Augsburg came and said, no, no, no we're going to offer you this. So get your championship package. I think it's on ESPN Plus and certainly your Bundesliga package also on ESPN Plus. Keeping the rights is very difficult. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on the Soccer OG. Another big episode coming out next week. Happy New Year and 2022. We're going to have a great time together. We'll see you very soon. I'm the Soccer OG, Max Bretos. Palacio Domingo.